Hey guys, before we get started today, wanted to tell you about another podcast. You, of course, already know about The Low Post with Zach Lowe, The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst, but have you listened to the CJ McCollum show? Every week, New Orleans Pelican star CJ McCollum discusses names and storylines in and around the NBA with inside perspective you can only get from someone in the locker room and on the floor. That's the CJ McCollum show. Listen wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome back to the Mini Comic Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast. One of the hosts thinks the best flea flicker is Frontline. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. I am joined on this football Thursday ahead of week 16, oh my god, by a repeat guest backed by popular demand, JP Costa. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. It feels weird to be right on like Christmas week 16. This feels like it's been like kind of a blur to where like I'm sitting down like, wow, we're like actually right by the playoffs. We are, but then then like the season's so long this year, it's like there's still... 16, 17, 18, you know, three more weeks, which usually at this time of year, there's less. Anyways, whatever. It's boring. But um, JP, I was thinking about last time I had you on was like after the Jags had a big win and then they kind of struggled for a while. Now I'm having you back on. You're a fan of the Jags. JP's also a writer for SB Nation. Guys, you should check out his work. Um, are you worried that you're going to jinx the Jags again? Oh, I've already had the protocol, like the doomsday protocol ready for this. So every time that I've watched a Jaguars game this year, they have lost. The last <gasps> time I watched a game, they got 40 balled by the Lions. Yeah. And then I just was like, okay, I'm not going to watch this game. And then they came back and beat the Ravens. I was out with family. They went and beat the Titans. So I tried, I tried beta testing it with the Cowboys <laughs> game. And I didn't watch. And they won. Oh, so now no. I'm having to sacrifice actually watching my favorite team for them to win. So I'm fully prepared to just not watch on Thursday. In real time, it is a it's a challenging game for it. We're gonna talk about it. So we're actually gonna try something a little bit different this week. I I was looking at the schedule and I was like, ah, you know what? I, I don't wanna like spend I don't know, this whole podcast on like four or five games like I usually do. I wanna talk about all the games, but I wanna talk about them more quickly. So this is gonna be like a three hour podcast, don't worry. But I came up with this um conceit for you and me which is we're going to go through every game and we're going to discuss what it would take for an upset basically um so you know i mean i'm going to try not to say turnovers for more than a couple of these because that is you know usually the go-to answer for an upset but i do think there are there are things there's some close games there's actually a lot of close games this week so i think um yeah this is kind of a fun way to get into the games uh are you ready yeah, I'm always ready. Well, I guess we should start with the Jags, right? Because this is the Thursday night game. Um, last I checked, the Jags were favored by one. Is that the last line you saw? I'm going to pull up just to make sure I have that. Yeah, I think the Jags were favored by one. Okay. So, so therefore, we are going to be talking about what it would take for the Jets to pull off an upset. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, important piece of news, of course, is that Zach Wilson will be starting for the Jets in this game. I think that matters a great deal. <laughs> it is going to, it's probably why the Jags are favored. Honestly, I bet the reverse would be true if Mike White was playing. So JP, you go first. You know this team well. They're your beloved Jaguars. What would it take for the Jets to beat them? So I think for the Jets to beat the Jaguars, they have to own the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. I think on the offensive side of the ball, with Trevon Walker and Foley Fatukasi not playing, it was announced today they are not going to play on Thursday. 
this Jaguars team really isn't that great at stopping the run if Foley Fatukasi isn't in there. And Trevon Walker being out with an ankle injury is going to negate a lot of what they do against the run. They're an average team against the run when they play. When they don't play, they are extremely bad. So I think for the Jets to win this game on the offensive side of the ball, you have to get the ball out of Zach Wilson's hands. You cannot let him go into Freebird guitar solo mode where he's just got <laughs> it playing in his head and he's like, I'm going to go make a play. And then it just doesn't go well at all. So I think leaning on the run game with Zonovan Knight, with James Robinson, James Robinson revenge game feels really weird. But I think leaning on the run game offensively, then defensively, I think the Jaguars offensive line has played fairly well this year. Mm. Cam Robinson has a torn meniscus out for the rest of the season. Hopefully, Quinnen Williams will be back healthy. That should be a fun battle between him and Brandon Scherf, who's played extremely well this year. So getting them to win on both sides of the front, on the front lines, on the line of scrimmage, that's going to really decide this game for the Jets. If they want to win, they got to win up there first. Yeah, I think it's, it's Nate and I talked about this a little bit earlier this week. Uh, offensively, you know, this Jaguars team has been rolling, but I don't think they've faced a defense. Like, the Jets' defense is really, really good. They were really good against Detroit. So it's going to be tough sledding on that side of the ball. So my, my prescription for New York is really on the other side. Um, so it's interesting, uh, JP. So, so as I'm sure you know, Zach Wilson... When he has his hand ball in the hands for a long time, bad things tend to happen. Now, <laughs> weirdly against the Lions, there was some some of it was just pure luck, but he had some like crazy explosive plays. But um, you know that he couldn't get anything going quick, which is was not too surprising because the Lions' defense is actually pretty good against the quick passing game. You know who's not good against the quick passing game? The Jacksonville Jaguars uh, on throws of two point five seconds or less. They ranked thirtieth in EPA on defense. If you can get the ball out quickly and negate the pass rush to your point um, so that, you know, the Jags defensive line doesn't get to Zach Wilson and cause problems. Um, you can move the ball on this team. And I was actually, I wanted to ask you quickly, do you think that's just because of, you know, the, the linebackers and coverage? Do you think like the corners, like wh- what would you attribute that to generally? So I think it's a couple of things. Um, there is this big like coverage versus pass rush thing. I think the pass rush has been okay to good this year. DeWan Smoot's having another great year as a rotational pass rusher. But when you look at who they have in coverage, Tyson Campbell has been really good this year. Like his development from last year, from the back half of last year to this year has been huge. But on the other side of him, you're playing guys like Trey Herndon. Darius Williams has been fine on the outside, but he's predominantly played in the slot this year so they're going to find whoever is not uh being guarded by Tyson Campbell and just attack them relentlessly I think by DVOA the Jaguars are about a league average team when they're targeting when the offenses are targeting their number one receiver against number two receivers and tight ends they are near the bottom of the league and that's because the depth just isn't there right now in the secondary and as for the linebackers it's really it's been interesting because I think Foye Olokun has played rather well, but the rookie linebackers have been really bad in coverage. Devin Lloyd has been kind of a fish out of water in some cases, and Chad Moon was more of a run defender at this point. So I think for the Jets to kind of get something going in the passing game, it's going to be away from Tyson Campbell or over the middle, try and get yeah. Garrett Wilson isolated on one of those linebackers. That's how I see this working if – the balls, that, you know, because Zach Wilson is so much better when he gets the ball out quickly and stays in the pocket normally over the course of his career. So if he does that and if they can get the ball in Garrett Wilson's hands over the middle of the field, 
I think there's some potential there for offense in addition to the run game, as you talked about. All right, Bills-Bears. This is much less close. Bills favored by nine at the moment. Um, Okay, so I know I said I wasn't going to do turnovers (laughs) for uh, most of this, and I promise I won't, but that's like, that's the thing with the Bills, right? I mean, it really is. You got to turn Josh Allen over. Um, And not just because of, you know, it's, uh, you know, a huge line, I mean, a huge discrepancy in talent and all that, but because that is how the Bills have lost games this season. It's when Josh Allen turns the ball over. Um, so I think that it, for the Chicago, that's really where this like starts and ends because otherwise, JP, I, I struggle to think of another reason. What do you got? So I had a couple things written down. First off, I said, pray that they get goofball Josh Allen. So <laughs> yeah, another I, way of saying the, that, yeah. With the Freebird guitar solo thing with Zach Wilson, <laughs> Josh Allen has that on max volume all the time. <laughs> so it's not like you can say like, hey, turn this down because you get the insane plays like the touchdown yeah. to James Cook and the touchdown to Dawson Knox against the Dolphins. Like that's the trade-off you have to make. So they have to pray they get goofball Josh Allen. And I also think very quietly the bills run game run defense was really bad on saturday i mean Mm. miami kind of gashed them in the run game and the one thing that the bears do really well is run the ball i think khalil herbert tristan ebner and david montgomery have been really good in the run game justin fields obviously it's justin fields he's going to create problems for any defense that is game planning against the bears but i think if they can get the downhill run game going and then of course just hope that goofy like goof off josh allen shows up they can (laughs) they can possibly win but that's asking a lot yeah no i think you're right about the run game or as it pertains to because we know what you know chicago obviously is very hard to stop on the ground because of the quarterback um by the way the the bills defense has been i I looked this up out of curiosity the best in the nfl against uh quarterback runs this year uh but justin fields is not most quarterback so uh, it's not to say that that won't work, but to, to your point about the Bills' run defense, that did, I mean, I, I was actually pretty surprised by the play of the linebackers in this one, Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, who, uh, you know, have been pretty stout against the run, but both, I thought, really struggled in the Miami game. Granted, you know, there's a lot going on with the Miami defense offense that makes it hard for linebackers to uh, defend the run, but there's a lot going, you know, the Bears' rushing attack is hard to stop as well. I think also, losing Von Miller was sneaky impactful, too, on run defense, because that's sort of, that's one of his um, secret superpowers as, you know, in terms of setting the edge. So I think that's that's something that could be an issue for the Bills, could be. So, yeah, I think that's, that I would say, i throw that in with turnovers. Okay. Browns-Saints. <laughs> you go first on this one. So, the, oh, I should say the Browns are favored by three. So I think for the Saints to pull off the upset, so on both sides as well, first thing they have to do on offense is test the Browns' run defense. I still think it's really bad. Their defensive tackle play has been really bad this year. And on all, when the Saints are on defense, force Deshaun Watson to hold on to the ball. They have to get them away from the run game and force Deshaun to hold on to the ball because this is going to be like the third week that he's actually been back playing. He's probably still not going to have the full control of the offense so as long as they have him hold on to the ball try and improvise then that's where a lot of the mistakes have come from in this mm-hmm. Browns offense when he's been, been in the game so if they can force him to hold on to the ball they can get some mistakes going and then offensively they have to be able to get something going on the Browns run defense you know it, it's interesting with the Browns so I haven't really I haven't really talked about them 
since Watson came back. Dominique and I talked about, you know, covering Watson this year, but because this team is essentially out of playoff contention, they haven't really, like, I haven't had to talk about them, you know what I mean? Because I've mostly been talking about, like, meaningful games. Um, but I have watched them, and it's it's funny, JP, since coming back, it's weird, like, it kind of, everything's kind of flipped, where, like, the Browns' defense has been winning games for them, right? Like, because mm-hmm. with Brissette, like, when they were losing games, it was almost entirely because of the defense. I mean, the run defense, as you just alluded to, was god-awful through much of the season. And there's there were coverage busts, but they have been playing better uh, over the last few weeks. They've been forcing turnovers, actually. Um, so it's it's interesting. Like now, it's like the offense has been the problem for the Browns, and the defense has been good. But I do think still, though, to your point, like you can still run on this defense. I think the talent there, there's still a talent issue that they really need to address in the off season. And then as far as Watson goes, um, yeah, I mean, like he's he hasn't looked he's looked rusty. The offense hasn't been clicking. I think you're right that it, it of course, starts with stopping the run, but you do have to force him to hold on to the football. And he does, you know, he's that's something that actually has been an issue for his entire career, which is holding on to the ball and taking sacks. The other thing, though, I would throw onto that is, and maybe this is like rustiness or discomfort of the offense or whatever, he is really dependent on his legs right now for in like key situations. Um, you know, like uh, must have third down. So I, I think for the Saints defensively, not only do you want him to force hold on to the football, you also make need to make sure you contain him as a runner, almost first and foremost, really, because that I think is how the Browns can get them. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is due to, like you said, with the legs and being able to generate offense that way. It's kind of a, it's kind of an easy offense for him if you really don't know yeah. the offense passing the ball. If you want to generate first downs and big plays, just do it yourself. <laughs> just get just get first downs that way. So I do think hat, putting contain, putting him in containment and kind of getting pass rush but not losing rush discipline. I think that's been kind of a trend that we're seeing for a lot of mobile quarterbacks in the NFL. You're rushing the passer, but you're not losing rush lanes. I think teams like the Titans, teams like the Jets, they do such a really good job is – they're crushing the pocket instead of trying to bend around it. And I feel like the Saints can kind of do that with the personnel that they have on the edge. They're not really bendy guys out there. They were, they're going to try and push the pocket instead of trying to bend around and cause pressure that way. If they can compress it and force Deshaun to hold on to the ball, make him feel uncomfortable without having him use his legs, they can, they can get into this game on the defensive side of the ball. The Saints... Still in playoff contention. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Uh, well, so Titans-Texans is actually really important for the Titans. Like, this is, I think, you know, I view as a must-win game for them uh, because your Jags have been sneaking back into the playoff race. And if you drop this one, you know, you're you're really screwed, I think. And it's, it's just they should win this game. They are favored by – this line has come down. So – it opened at seven when I first saw it, and now the Titans are only favored by four at home against the Texans. That is, I mean, I, I'll say that this, I think there's a couple things behind that. Like, obviously, a lot of it has to do with the Titans' struggles, all of the injuries on that team. Um, I, I assume Ryan Tano's playing, but, you know, he's been a little bit banged up. But I also think it's like we're coming off of two games where the Texans played both the Cowboys and the Chiefs pretty damn close. <laughs> and... Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've kind of, you know, they've got this now Jeff Davis Mills, Jeff Driscoll 
quarterback uh, tandem. So, but coming off of those two games, that's kind of where I got my prescription for this, JP, which is, I think, um, obviously you have to stop Derrick Henry on early downs, which isn't like, you know, a lot of defenses have had success doing that this year. But once Ryan Danhill is in obvious passing situations, it really comes down to taking advantage of those injuries on the offensive line. And I actually think the Texans have some pretty good pass rushers. Like in the Chiefs game, Jerry Hughes, the ageless Jerry Hughes was really good. Uh, Obo Okoronkwo, who used to be with the Rams, was incredible in this game. Uh, they also pressured Dak a lot uh, in, in the Cowboys game, and he really struggled. So we know there's injuries on the Titans defensive line. Um, you know, the Tannehill and also has, is, is not quite as mobile with the injury. So for me, it's all about the Texans pass rush taking over. Yep. And I think for the Texans defense, one of the people that I'm going to have circled is Jalen Petre. I think oh, he played a really good game good against player. the Titans the first time. Such a fun player. Just you want to get him around the ball, get him around the action, because he's going to make a bunch of good plays for your team. I think in the first Titans game, he had a, two huge tackles on Derrick Henry. And Jalen Petrie's like maybe like 5'11, 205, 210. And he's like stopping Derrick Henry in the hole. And I'm like, oh, what is this? Like, oh, okay, let me write down this name real quick. But I think for the Texans to pull off the upset, I think they need to stick to one guy at quarterback. I I am tired of seeing Jeff Driscoll get snaps. <laughs> I don't think this is working. It's kind of like they're trying to outsmart the other team, but also like they're outsmarting themselves. Because like you don't have to put Jeff Driscoll in the game. Just, yeah, it, it, it worked the first it. time because it was like, whoa, what the heck's going on? Yeah, it's like now now everybody has film on him. Like you can't just like <laughs> rotate him back in. And like I don't think you really needed film for Jeff Driscoll like anyway. But oh man, you really you shouldn't have to keep doing this two quarterback thing. This, this just isn't going to work. Um, I haven't talked about the Texans a lot for obvious reasons. Uh, it, you know, they, they, they're going to have the number one overall pick and one assumes they're going to take a quarterback. I guess I, I, I want to take a, put a little pin in this team for a second. Do you feel like there's building blocks here? Cause I, I agree with you. I think Jalen Petrie is a star He's a rookie this year. Offensive line is fine. The tackles still play well. Um, but outside of that, like, do you feel like there's like they, they've kind of figured out a few players to build around, or do you think they still have a long way to go? I very quietly, I think so. I think Jalen Petrie is a really good player. Derek Stingley was good in Hurt. the yeah. games that he was healthy in. I think getting him away from that zone Tampa two defense and letting him actually play man will do wonders for him with whoever the next coach probably is. I think Damian Pierce is kind of a foundational building block for that offense and what he's shown and the ability to just make the first guy miss and not go down on first contact. It was mm. always a thing when he was at Florida, and now he's doing it in the NFL where he's just bouncing off of guys. Like you said, the tackles play really well. Laramie Tunzel's had a really good season yeah. this year, like very quietly because the Texans are bad, but he's played really well this season. It just really depends on who you have in the passing game as passing targets. Is Brandon Cooks going to be around for much longer? I don't think so. Uh, Nico Collins is fine as a wide receiver three, maybe. You don't know what you have in John Mechie yet. And I still think they need, they really need more pass rush from the interior. So yeah. I think with Okronkwo, I think Jerry Hughes has been fine for them. Getting some interior help as well as the quarterback, will do them wonders. I don't think they're like 
one quarterback away or like one one more top draft pick away from being extremely competitive but you can see the the building blocks there you can see the young talent that they have they just need to get more of it well they have a lot of draft picks i mean they've got their pick they've got the cleveland pick right from the watson trade which is going to be pretty good um and then they have also i think an extra third from cleveland so and throughout they have a lot of draft picks so it's going to be an interesting offseason for this team starting with coach well so we'll we'll talk about them a lot of course um okay chief seahawks you go first on this one she's favored by you know a zillion as they should be 10 <laughs> so for the for the seahawks to get the win i think it's all about the big play you need to get turnovers yes. you need to get explosives in the passing game i think that's one thing that the seahawks did really well to begin the season it's kind of died down a little bit with them just not being able to generate explosives in the passing game that much but I think for them to win, they're going to have to – they're not going to be able to slow down this Chiefs offense to a complete halt. So you need to be able to take advantage of the mistakes, like kind of like what the Texans did. They took advantage of almost every mistake that the Chiefs made. I mean, they forced a couple fumbles. And I think the Seahawks, for as much as, as bad about that defense – they can get turnovers. They can if get turnovers. Can. They can, yeah. Woolen and the other rookie, uh, Kobe, has been good also. So, yeah, they can they can get turnovers. Um, I, I don't have a lot of faith in this defense otherwise outside of the turnovers. But, and this is to me, to your other point about the big plays offensively, I do think they can get explosives. This Chiefs defense is not good. I mean, yeah. they're just – it's not a good defense. And – um, they are 31st in DVOA against number one wide receivers. Now, the Seahawks will not have Tyler Lockett in this game, which hurts, although Marquise Goodwin has been good for them, and they've got like a good group of tight ends. But I think this is all about DK Metcalf. There's yes. no one on that Chiefs roster who can cover him. Weirdly, the um, rookie corner who they've been playing outside, Joshua Williams, is gigantic. Yeah. So um, he's got the size, but, you know, it, it so I, I guess maybe he'll be on him. I mean, we'll see, you know, McDuffie's, I don't think McDuffie, who, who I like, can handle DK Metcalf. Um, they give up a ton of explosive plays. They're 28th in QBR on passes 15 yards or more. This to me, Gino's got to just come out slinging it. I know, you know, we, there's been turnovers and stuff, but like, I don't think they've got a shot on this thing against, unless they move the ball down the field. Yeah, this has got to be the F it we ball type of yeah. game. <laughs> We're going deep and DK is going to have to have one of those games where it's, this is why you pay DK yeah. Metcalf all that totally. money. This is going to have to be the game where he just dominates every matchup. Of course, the Chiefs are going to have extra attention on him because Tyler Lockett's going to be injured. He's not going to play. But this is the game where DK Metcalf has to play really, really well. Do you think that the Chiefs' defense, because I haven't really talked about their defense that much, um, do you worry about the defense being why this team because the, the offense is fine like it's uh you know the offense still is like the best in the nfl by like you know just however you slice it is patrick Mahomes is you know whatever is still the best quarterback in football but the defense is I don't know, maybe worse than last year like it's it, it's really a problem and I guess when I look at, like, okay, you know, the Dolphins, the Bills, the Bengals, the other really good teams in the AFC, like, do you worry that, uh, I mean, I, I guess their best hope is just winning shootouts. Yeah, it's a little worrisome. I think the re the revolving door at corner didn't help yeah. them in the early part of the season because the rookies were hurt 
and they couldn't really get acclimated to playing in the NFL. So now that they're actually back out there fully healthy. It's kind of a huge learning curve, especially like as you're preparing for a really deep playoff run. So I think it's a little worrisome, but the hope is you keep getting them out there, you keep letting them play, and eventually it'll come around. I mean, Chris Jones is going to command a lot of attention. You're going to need a lot more from George Karloftis in the pass rush game. He's mm-hmm. going to have to be able to capitalize off the opportunities that um, Chris Jones offers up. But the secondary is it's a really big issue. It's yeah. a really big issue. I just as you look at like those the wide receivers on those three teams I mentioned, you know, it's I mean, they're all high powered passing attacks. So, I mean, you say Patrick Mahomes, any game can be a shootout, but it's definitely it's definitely a problem because of the teams that I mentioned, also the Bengals, Bills and the Dolphins, the Chiefs have the worst defense mm-hmm. by a pretty significant margin. So, all right. Well, let's move on. Vikings Giants. This game is in Minnesota. Minnesota is favored by 4. <laughs> Uh, which is, I guess not that, I mean, you know, it's in Minnesota. I, somebody told me, Ben Fox, who used to work at ESPN, does gambling stuff, told me that um, home field is no longer three. I think it's two now, he said. Shoot, I wish he told me. So uh, that's something to keep in mind. But um, in any case, the Giants, I'll go first on this one. Um, so the Vikings, well, there's really two things. One, pressuring Cousins, obviously. But I talked about this a little bit. I was really shocked when, and then the Sunday night game against the Commanders, Wink Martindale like didn't blitz Taylor Heineke in some pretty key situations. He was confident in his four man rush because the four man rush is good now. Yeah. Like the best players on the Giants are on the defensive line. Dexter Lawrence, Kayvon Thibodeau took over the game. Azizio Lari made some big plays in that game. So they are perfectly capable of winning against this Minnesota um, offensive line, and I don't think they have to blitz them as much as they have most of the season. And then on the other side, JP, um, this is the other thing. Minnesota, the defense, which is you know the source of much irritation amongst their fan base, is really bad against the play-action pass. Worse than the NFL and EPA, yards per attempt. They're allowing 10.48 yards per attempt against play-action passes. We know that that's what New York wants to do to uh, – move the ball through the air. So I would say, you know, lean into the play action pass against this team. Yep. And I think the thing that I wrote down was they need another good game from the pass rush. That's got to be the driving force behind stopping that offense. Like you said, Aziz Ojulari, Dexter Lawrence, Kayvon Thibodeau had a phenomenal game against Washington. There was the strip sack. I was just like, wow, this is, this is pretty awesome to see from him now that he's gotten over the injury. There were a lot of like, was he a bust or not? But he's playing extremely well and extremely high level. And I think they can really test this Vikings offensive line, who for the most part of the game against the Colts for the first half was dominated by the Colts defensive line, who is still really who's still they have really good players. Yeah, good. we're going to get to them later. But the, the Giants can absolutely attempt to take over this game on the defensive line if they have to. And they might have to. Yeah, I, well, I... The more, like, when I think about it, it's not a bad matchup for New York, right? Like, when you think about the ways in which Minnesota struggles, they are, there are things the Giants can take advantage of. Now, there is no one on this Giants team. And I, let me rephrase that. There aren't two people who could together on this <laughs> Giants team can stop Justin Jefferson. You know where I was going with that. Um, 
but there's just nothing, you know, it doesn't matter. But um, the, the key is just to make it not matter to get to Kirk, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and this is a big game for them too, right? Because obviously with the playoffs and um, I think they, you know, after having beat the commanders, they got a little bit of cushion for the wild card spot. But so I don't think this is like in totally must win. I might be wrong. I have to look at the wrestlers. I think they have got some easy games or an easy game or two after this, but it's, it's a big one. And I feel like this is the ultimate, like who's for real game, right? Yep. Like both of these teams have been accused of fraudulence at various points during the season. And it feels like only one can, one of these teams is going to come out uh, with authentic an authenticity guarantee and the other one shall not. And which means this game is probably going to overtime. There's going to be a bunch of shenanigans involved. There might be another blocked kick in here. I don't know who it's going to be by, yeah. but there's going to be some shenanigans involved in this game. Okay, so I really struggled with Bengals Pats. The Bengals are, this is in New England, the Bengals are favored by three. Um, I think I struggled, JV, because the Bengals aren't really bad at anything. Like they're, you know what I mean? Like there's not a yeah. glaring weakness. This is like, I think what is so good about this team is that they're just like super well coached and have a high floor. Um, but what did you come up with? So I think this is going to have to be another like Bill Belichick, like masterclass in terms of how he defends the Bengals. I think they have to force Joe Burrow to throw in the cloudy coverages. I think you cannot, you can't play them the same way that you play the Cardinals with cover one, cover three heavy. Yeah. I don't know if they have the guys to hold up against Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. And it's really funny because Joe Burrow has the fifth highest total EPA versus cover one and cover three. The Patriots run cover one and cover three at the second most snaps in the NFL. And they also have the highest EPA per play, the lowest EPA per play allowed mm. in the NFL. So it's kind of strength on strength if you want to play it like that. But I also think if they can get pressure, they can make it a little interesting. I think Joe Burrow's gotten a lot better against pressure this year. But there are times where they're – you can see kind of like last year Joe Burrow where he's trying so hard to make a play and a sack that normally be like five yards ends up being like a ten yard sack. And they have to try and get they have to try and get pressure with four without showing that cover one, cover three, because they will get beaten consistently. They don't have the guys to play cover one. No. Against these receivers. Yeah, I think um you're absolutely right. I think you saw some of this in the first half of the Bucks game, which is you cloud the picture for Burrow and you get pressure with four. Now, how you get that pressure is complicated, right? Like, yeah. um, it, it actually, I think, falls into the cloud the picture thing. I wouldn't say Burrow has strug struggled against disguise up front or simulated pressure, that kind of thing. But defenses that have been able to do that successfully uh, have just been able to get him to hold on to the ball a little bit longer and make mistakes he actually you know should have been picked like twice in the next game yeah. but um i think the patriots are capable of that i think to your point like i i would deviate from playing single high in this one um yeah even if it is something that they've been good at in the past just because it's so obviously not the right thing to do against this offense even if yeah. you're good at it um but yeah i i think that's it you're right it's it's this is one is about Bill Belichick uh, coming up with a defensive, like a very bespoke defensive game plan. I think they're capable of it. I think they, I mean, the Patriots defense is strong up front, especially now that Christian Barmore is back and Josh Uche is balling, and then they're good at safety. Um, so I think 
in some ways, you can almost see how Bill Belichick, like he has the chess pieces to come out with a pretty good game plan uh, against Burrow in particular. Yeah, and I think this is going to be have to be a big Kyle Duggar game. He's going to have to rotate in the yeah. middle of the field. They're going to play a lot of light boxes and have Kyle Duggar rotate up as a linebacker. But I also think a guy for the Patriots to kind of keep an eye on is Jonathan Jones and uh, Jack Jones. I mean, if you're going to play press man against the Bengals, like – yeah, good luck. I mean, the Bucks had a really did a really good job of it. Carlton Davis oh, played. Carlton Davis was insane on the first half of that game, and then they scored thirty four straight. So yeah, I don't know like how, how much press man you want to play, and I don't think the Patriots have the guys or enough guys to consistently do it against every Bengals receiver that they have. Even Trenton Irwin is playing really well. Yeah, 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 thousand percent. Like, Burrow has been better against cover two just like split safety in general this year right like especially as the year has gone on I've talked about this um he's shown more of a willingness to work underneath and get the ball out quickly but you still take that guys you still force him to do that um Mm -hmm. because if you 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 know it it, and I would say like there's you also see him still get frustrated at times with it uh so this definitely it's like he didn't he, def- he got better at playing it, but it remains still the best way, I think, to play this offense. All right, let's wrap for a break with uh, Lions-Panthers. The Lions, the Detroit Lions, this game is in Carolina, I believe, yes. And the Lions are currently favored by two and a half. This actually opened a lot bigger and then has closed, um, which I think is kind of interesting, actually, because there's so much buzz about the Lions right now. I mean, they're still favored in Carolina, but... You know, it's just, you know, Carolina's coming off a a tough loss. So I'll go first with this one. Um, So I talked earlier about how the Lions are, have been really good against quick game since like over the, since the bye, basically. That's what they're good at. What they're not good at is stopping longer developing plays, which you certainly saw on display in the Jets game. Mm -hmm. Uh, So since week eight, on throws over four seconds, they are 32nd in EPA on defense, allowing 11.3 yards per attempt. So my prescription for Panthers and for Sam Darnold is making plays outside of structure. I mean, running the ball as well, even though the Lions run defense is good. But I would add to that big plays outside of structure. Absolutely. I think getting DJ Moore heavily involved in this game, especially going downfield, it can't be like quick game. You have to try and get hit them deep. And you saw it in the Jets game where even Zach Wilson was hitting like crossbody prayers like to the middle <laughs> of the field. And it, and it was just going down. Like that's kind of the problem with the Lions. Like we've seen their defense be able to get pass rush. But if that pass rush isn't getting home, the DBs still aren't fully – the coverage and uh, pass rush doesn't match up very well. I think the thing that I wrote down for the Panthers is matching physicality. You cannot get beaten up front. Mm. You're going to play the Lions. And I think – the Panthers' run D has been average this year. They're 22nd in defensive DVOA against the run. They're 18th in EPA. Derrick Brown's played fairly well this season. Brian Burns has been awesome. So Panay Sewell and uh, Taylor Decker are going to see a lot of Brian Burns this weekend. They're going to have to match physicality. You cannot get blown off the ball against this Lions team because that opens up all the play action stuff. That opens up everything else for that offense is opened up because you can't stop them in the run game and you can't stop them in the physicality department. Yeah. Ugh. 
That's a good point. Uh, I don't know why I said, ugh. Like, <laughs> I like the lions. This is like, I, I feel like my podcast is turning into a lions, borderline lions. We did lions last week and winners. We did lions this week and winners. Um, but they're really fun. They're fun oh, to talk about. Me. I have been, I've been like the giant of lions stan jp acosta that's like right by my name every week i'm like post like hey i love the lions run game it's like consistent so i guess i'm a part of lions twitter now they're just there's some teams where you feel like uh, i don't know it's like they kind of given up or whatever and i think what is so fun about watching the lions right now is not like the improvement but that's really fun to watch but it's like watching all of the young players play so hard as they get better. I don't know. I really enjoy it on both sides of the football. All right, let's take a quick break, come back and start with the Baltimore Ravens. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. Okay, JP, we are back. The second half of this game's preview, Atlanta and Desmond Ritter are traveling to Baltimore. The Ravens are favored by seven and a half points, despite the fact that Tyler Huntley will probably be starting again at quarterback Lamar Jackson uh, as of today has not been practicing so it seems like a long shot um we're kind of moving into must win territory for the ravens right who are still a wild card team but need to hold on to it and this feels like a game like they can i mean obviously the line reflects that so if you're atlanta what do you think has to happen you got to force tyler huntley to throw the ball and it has been really really bad not just throw the ball but throw the ball at the receivers since rashad bateman went down in week eight in the middle of week eight and week nine since week nine the ravens are the only team in the nfl not to have a receiving touchdown by a wide receiver like it's just been really bad they just lost devin duvernay too did you see that they picked up sammy watkins it's like this uh, 
Who among us is not desperation stream Sammy Watkins at some point in our fantasy football lives? I feel like this is kind of what it is. It's a fantasy football team at this point. Like you could talk, you could tell me like some of those players that are on the Ravens roster that might actually play, and I would, I'd be convinced that they don't exist. Like sure, yeah. like Sammy Watkins is a thing. Like he's a figment of our imagination. Like we see, like the one Sammy Watkins game. Like yeah, he'll have two touchdowns and then like, poof, gone. But it really, you really have to force Tyler Huntley to throw the ball, especially on third and medium and long. Get them into obvious passing situations. Since Lamar went down, they're dead last in passing DVOA. There's they had the seventh worst EPA per target for wide receivers since Week Nine, and that's in the same category as teams like the Rams and the the Cardinals and those teams are way out of playoff contention and they're right in the playoff run. <laughs> so you got to get Tyler Huntley to throw the ball and you have to force the receivers to make plays. I think that's, that's totally accurate. I would also throw in Desmond Ritter needs to not panic in this game. So he's coming off of pretty inauspicious rookie debut against a tough Saints defense. Um, and this Ravens defense, like, I haven't really talked about it, but, like, they really turned things around after the beginning of the season. You know, it's yeah. new coordinator, bringing in new players like Roquan Smith, obviously, the trade deadline, um, but and totally new system after changing over from Wing Martindale. But right now, they are sixth against the run and ninth against the pass in DVOA. Um, so something that they do a lot is uh, they use a lot of, disguise in their coverage they also talked about like sim pressures they really like to mess with quarterbacks so this is one where i think like mentally desmond ritter needs to not get fooled um i think you know it's really like the ravens i feel like will probably sell out to stop the run a bit against him so he just needs to take the easy completions be content to you know just work his way up to the field slowly, check down if necessary, and not try to force things because he will get tricked and he will turn the ball over against his team. Yeah, if you don't like what you see, don't throw it. Don't do it. You, you can. It's fine to take the check down. It's fine to just live another day, go for the next down. It doesn't all have to be a big bills only type of offense in this game. Okay, so the 49ers are favored by a touchdown against the Washington Commanders. So this one, I'm cashing in one of my turnover cards um, because I do believe uh, the way to st- the stop this 49ers offense is to intercept Brock Purdy. He has been really, really good. He has also been flirting with interceptions <laughs> over the last few weeks. Uh, and that's something that the Commanders have been better at over the in a recent uh, recent weeks. They are seventh interception rate since week 10. Uh, the defensive line actually struggled a bit last week, but they're very good at forcing quarterbacks into difficult situations. And I feel like this could be the game if things go right for Washington, where some of those Brock Purdy interceptions actually happen. Yeah. And I think to go along with that point, I wrote get pressure and it kind of goes with the coverage and pressure thing we've talked about. If they can get Brock Purdy under duress, if they can force him into making a throw under pressure, I feel like he's going to make a mistake eventually. He's been flirting with a real close, like running towards the sideline to his right, throwing it back over the middle. He's yeah. been flirting with those interceptions. Like it's been real close these past couple of weeks when he started. And I feel like the commanders have enough of a pass rush and enough of a defensive line unit to cause the Niners problems up front. I mean, Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen are phenomenal. Jonathan Allen has been playing at an all pro 
level this year, and Deron Payne has picked it up in this year as well. Montez Sweat's played really well. It's going to have to be a pressure-dictated game for the Commanders if they want to win. It's going to have to be on the offensive side when the Niners have the ball on offense. Yeah, I struggle to see how this Commanders offense will move the ball on. I mean, I struggle to see how most offenses move the ball on the Niners. Talked about this a little bit with Seattle after Thursday Night Football, but the problem with this team is the usual answers you have to try to negate a very aggressive pass rush, you know, screens, draws, I, they're really good at defending. Their linebackers are really, really good. So it's like even if you try to get, you know, the ball out quickly um, or take advantage of them in the run game with, you know, traps or whatever, they're still so good because the player, the second level defenders are so good. The Chiefs had some success, I think, using the Niners' aggression aggression against them with, like, jet sweeps and whatnot. I just don't think the Commanders are that team. Yeah, no. I think what makes this Niners' defense so much fun to watch is it's kind of an engine powered by the linebackers. The defensive line can be so aggressive because, like you said, if they if they don't play a screen well, Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw will clean it up nine yeah. times out of ten. And I think that's been such a fun thing to watch, watching these linebackers not only take away space in the middle of the field, but when they start to throw it short because you can't get anything going over that part of the field, they just constrict you. And they keep making it more uncomfortable to where you're throwing short routes and they're closing on it for two-yard gains instead of picking up four or five on a check down. Yeah, ultimately, like the Seahawks just stopped throwing over the middle. I don't know if you saw Geno Smith's like passing chart, but it was it really just turned out turned into get the ball like to Metcalf on the outside, and then Trevor's word was like all over him. But at least they were getting like some six, seven, eight yard gains, you know. And then that's that's what the offenses are going to have to do against this Niners team. All right, so the Cowboys Eagles has been all over the place, obviously with the Jalen Hurts injury. It seems more almost certain that Gardner Minshew will be playing quarterback for the Eagles, which is probably why the Cowboys are now favored by four and a half points in Dallas, which frankly is very like respectful to this Eagles team. Like that shows how good Vegas thinks this Eagles team is that it's even that close. Um, So you go first in this one. What do you have for the Gardner Minshew led Eagles to upset the Cowboys? I think they have to run the ball and get the ball and attack away from Trevon Diggs if they if they decide to throw it. The Cowboys' run defense is not very good, oh. and it gets a whole lot worse when Jonathan Hankins and Leighton Van Der Esch are not playing. If you watch the Jaguars game, I think the Jaguars averaged almost seven, eight yards a carry, and they were just going directly at Damon Clark and Anthony Barr, and they would, just, they would attack those guys relentlessly, whether it be the run game or the passing game. And it kind of tied into what Doug Peterson drew up for this against this Cowboys defense. And it's something that can be replicated because you want to attack these linebackers in coverage. You want to attack them in the run game. You want to try and get them out in isolation, out in space with as much man defense as the Cowboys play. You're going to get a linebacker in a favorable matchup against one of your skill players. So I think if they decide to throw the ball, make it easy for Gardner Minshew. Yeah. Get the ball to one of your skill players against an Anthony Barr in coverage. You're, they're going to win that. I just wrote copy the Jags. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I really think, I, I wouldn't call it a blueprint per se, but like there's a very obvious 
path to attacking this Dallas defense. I mean, because, you know, everything we were just saying about the the Niners and how hard it is because all of the counters you normally have to an aggressive pass rush don't work because of the linebacking group. Okay, so imagine they don't have the linebacking group. That is the, <laughs> the Cowboys. Um, Nate posted uh, the their on-off splits without uh, Vanderish. So with him, they are second in success rate against the run and... Um, Without him, they are 32nd. So that's not great. That's not great. Um, and yeah, I think everything the Jags did, Gardner Minshew and the Eagles can do, especially uh, in terms of attacking them on the perimeter with the run game. Uh, and then also, I think, like using the play action passing game to go after, you know, Calvin Joseph, frankly. <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah, just it, 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 there's, there's just holes on this Cowboys team. I, and yeah. frankly, along those lines, I'll be curious to see, like, if Dan Quinn makes some adjustments, man, because it's, it's, it, they're not, they're, they, they've been so injured on that side of the ball that, um, it's, 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 yeah, like, you don't, like, there's a lot of players now you don't really want playing as much man coverage as they've been playing. So it's four and a half, I think, is actually like, it makes sense because, and that's about the defense. Um, and then I, I would say uh, the other thing is uh, the Eagles defense, the pass rush. I think there's an advantage there against this Cowboys offensive line. So mm-hmm. that's another thing I could see. Okay, this one's much harder, in my opinion. The Dolphins are going, or pardon me, Green Bay is going to Miami. I think things would be very different if it was the other way. Uh, the Dolphins are favored by four against the Packers. I kind of think it should be higher. Maybe I'm wrong. What do you got for Green Bay to pull off the upset? How much man defense are the Packers going to play? And I wrote this down because going back and watching the Dolphins offense kind of operate against the Bills, the Bills ran man coverage on 35% of their snaps. Normally, they only run man coverage on like 23%. So it was very clear they saw the Chargers blueprint for how to slow down this offense and was like, yeah, let's go try this. And for the most part, they had it was slowed down for the most part. They I mean, outside of the Tyree kill long touchdown where you get beat in cover one, that's going to happen when you play Tyreek Hill, but you got to keep playing it. So I think the Packers playing man defense on the back end is going to be interesting. The Packers really don't play a lot of man, which feels weird considering the personnel that they have. Like they should be a better team in man coverage or a better operating team, but this is going to be a very, I'm really curious to see the game plan for the Packers on defense because it feels like Miami is starting to find that ability to they're starting to find themselves where kind of the Bills and the Chiefs were last year where the RPOs aren't necessarily working as often. Mm. So they're just changing the R's. Just run it. And they had a lot of success against the Bills in that. The Packers still aren't that great in run defense. Terrible. It'll it'll be interesting to see what the game plan is going to be. Yeah. So I was I wrote, you know, disrupt the timing which is kind of the, it's, it's really just like, can you disrupt Tua's timing, right? And the Packers, like, even when they play man, like, they're usually not pressing, and they're bad when they press. They're 28th in EPA when their corner, when one of their cornerbacks presses. Um, I To me, it really actually, like, the, their best chance of winning this, I think, is a high-scoring game because I just don't see this defense stopping Miami. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, and on the other side, though, Miami's defense has some issues. Uh, One of them is one that I think that the Packers can take advantage of, 
which is Miami's defense is very good at stopping deep passes, but on passes of less than 10 yards, they are 32nd in the NFL. Uh, the average QBR facing them has a Q, uh, QB, pardon me, has a QBR of 80. That is something that I think Aaron Rodgers would very much like to do against them. Um, getting Romeo Dobbs back, I think, is huge in this regard because of what he can do with slants and screens. So I think the like for the Packers, it's like you know ball control offense, quick short passes underneath, keep that offense off the field. That's how I would see them pulling this off. I actually think that's a really good point about the Packers offense kind of playing this Miami defense that's been really odd. Like, yeah, they blitz so much, but they are not good at it. I think their blitz rate is one of the highest in the NFL, but they don't get pressure. And they actually get more pressure when they're just dropping, when they're just rushing forward because they have the guys to blitz, not to blitz, but they just always are blitzing. And when they do blitz, I think their EPA allowed is like one of the highest in the NFL. Mm -hmm. So it's like they're trying to continue to be this Brian Flores, like, blitz-heavy defense. But the reason you went out and traded for Bradley Chubb, the reason you went and drafted Jalen Phillips, the reason you signed Melvin Ingram is so you wouldn't have to blitz as much. But they continue to do it, and they're not good at it. So I wonder if they'll deviate from this plan at any point. Because one thing that the Dolphins also do is they're going, if they show blitz, they're going to blitz. You cannot show it against Aaron Rodgers. I mean, for as bad as the Packers offense has looked at times this year, Aaron Rodgers has seen everything that you can possibly see in the NFL. If you show him what you're going to run, he's going to kill you. I think Chubb, Chubb's been a bit of a letdown since the trade, to be honest. I mean, I you know, the, the fact that he's out there helps the other pass rushers and Phillips in particular has been awesome. But you traded for him so that you would have the kind of four-man rush that can take you to the Super Bowl, right? Like, that's why they did the trade. And I feel like he might be, like, if I was to do, like, who are the most important Dolphins for the Reds this season, I would probably have him first, or not first, but it's Tua, but, like, second, because <laughs> he needs to step up, I think, for this defense to really compete with the the other big guys in the AFC. Okay, Steelers-Raiders. Yeah. I've really tried to stay away from picking every Raiders game because they're just so chaotic and stupid. Um, the Steelers are favored by two and a half. Uh, Kenny Pickett will be back for this game. Uh, yeah, I've expressed some mild enthusiasm about him earlier in the season. I've been pretty impressed by what he's shown so far. So what will it take for the Raiders to pull off the upset? Make Kenny Pickett's life difficult. And it really starts with Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. As good as Kenny Pickett has looked this season, that offensive line still needs a lot of work. It's really bad. And, Chandler Jones has started to come on as of recently, having amazing plays the past couple of weeks. I mean, we're all going to remember stiff-arming Mac Jones into the dirt. I think Mac Jones is like a speed bump right now in the Las Vegas area. But he's played really well in terms of pass rush, generating pressure. It's something that wasn't being seen early in the season. So now that he's getting more up to speed, Max Crosby's still playing really well. They have to win this game up front. They have to win it with pressure. I think that is totally accurate. I'll go to the other side of the ball. Devontae Adams just has to go off. <laughs> I, well, because I was just thinking about um, when they played the Eagles and A.J. Brown just went nuclear on this team. Do you remember that? 156 yeah. yards, three touchdowns. I think he averaged like 30 yards a catch. Um, well, I think Devontae Adams can do that. I think it is... Um, 
Derek Carr has been weirdly good under pressure this year, so I think he'll be able to handle the Steelers' pass rush, but I just don't think they have guys on the back end who can handle Devontae Adams. Very few teams do. So yeah, I feel like... it's like another... Like, they yeah. don't have two guys. Exactly. Devontae Adams. Exactly. All right, Broncos, Rams. Hoo-hoo-hoo. We've got Brett Rippon, and then we've got Baker Mayfield. The Broncos... Let me check this one, because this one's been all over the place, actually. <laughs> okay, so at the moment, yeah, the Broncos are favored by two and a half, which it's in it's in L.A. That seems fair to me. Um, so... <laughs> I'll go first. Um, the Rams have to stop Denver on the ground is my biggest thing. Uh, the Rams run defense, yeah, they struggled a bit against Green Bay, but they've actually, even with all the injuries, still been decent. Even losing Aaron Donald, they've been okay. Um, you've had guys like Greg Gaines, Michael Hoyt. Actually, is Greg Gaines hurt? I hope not. Anyways, um, who have been playing well against the run. The linebackers are still really good against the run. And I think if you can shut down Denver's rushing attack, you know, Brett Rippon's not, I mean, you know, he, he's, he's, he's a backup. So um, I think their best chance is of this being, it, it's probably going to be very, very low scoring. And, you know, and I think that starts with the Rams stopping the run. So the funniest thing happened when I tried to go look up the line for this game. So I went to go check it. And it said no line was available. And I'm just sitting there like, man, Jesus. they just don't want to choose Vegas this game Vegas is at like, all. let's just not acknowledge that this game is happening. Yeah, Vegas is waving the white flag on this one. But I definitely agree when it comes to stopping the run. And I think for the Rams to win this game, they have to force Brett Rippon. They have to force the Denver offense to sustain drives. Like, force them to yeah. drive down the field. Like, it, you can't allow them to get big plays, allow them to score quickly. I'm sure Baker's probably going to turn the ball over. It's The Broncos' defense is still really, really good. Force him to sustain drives. Force Brett Rippon to actually make throws. <laughs> it's, it's This is going to be a low score this game. Is this, so this is 130. Like, oh, no, it's, I'm in Pacific. So this is the 430 game. It's perfect for the Christmas nap. The, the, the Dolphins game, I skipped. I should have. Um, that's the first game on Christmas, and by far the best game on Christmas because the, the night game is Bucks Cardinals. Goodness, this is Broncos Rams is like the lump of coal <laughs> in Christmas like presents of so bad. sports on, on Christmas Day. Ugh, Bucks Cardinals on Christmas night is <laughs> God. I mean, oh man. oh man. Anyways, all right. Well, let's talk about Bucks Cardinals. This is uh, the last game on Christmas. Um, you can go first in this one. So the Bucks, let's, last I checked, were favored by six. Colt McCoy is, of course, the quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals. Um, this is a must-win game for the Bucks. Six and a half now. What would it take for the Cardinals to pull off the upset? I mean, they just need the second half Bucks to show up. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's really the biggest thing. What I happened? Can like, what would you? I didn't really talk about this game. Like, what would you pin that collapse on the most? So I think Lou Anarumo did a great job of adjusting within the game and just being like, yeah, we're going to drop eight. And because Tom Brady loves throwing the intermediate intermediate areas, middle of the field, short hook routes, it was like the Trey Flowers interception. They started flooding those intermediate areas with defenders and forcing him to throw into extremely tight windows. They kept getting pass breakups, kept getting PBUs. Eventually, they got they were going to get an interception. And then once they got the interception, just like everything just fell out. There were like two fumbles. There was a pick. It just, 
it was a really bad performance just execution wise in the second half just to start off like coming out of half i don't think they made any adjustments mm. and the Bengals made the adjustments the bucks didn't so i mean for the cardinals to win they just gotta adjust maybe they don't <laughs> <laughs> it's it's gonna be difficult but if you get the bucks to think that everything's going fine and More like than- like learn them into a trap. They gotta play the Yu-Gi-Oh trap card. Like oh. you gotta force them into a mistake. Um. So normally against Brady, the diagnosis is to pressure him, but the Cardinals don't really get pressure unless they blitz, and Brady still shreds the blitz. You don't want to blitz Brady. Don't do that. Uh, you want to have a standard rush against. So I guess I would say like don't blitz Brady. See if you can bother him with just you know four and, and you know, it's, yeah i mean <laughs> um yeah that's probably where i would start is you got to just make brady uncomfortable yeah and maybe i think marco wilson byron murphy antonio hamilton all dbs all questionable so Ooh. this is gonna be real really? bad if those guys can't go if you don't oh have my god DBs, it's just not gonna it's not gonna be fun so I actually lied or was wrong because I said that the Rams Broncos was nap, nap time. There's, I can tell you, my family of psycho Seahawks fans will be very invested in that game. They are very much wanting the Rams to pull off the upset there. So get that draft pick a little bit higher. Okay, uh, Monday night. Yes, folks. Once again, we've got the Colts in prime time. Chargers, Colts. <laughs> It's unreal how many primetime games they have. The uh, Chargers are favored by four and a half. I feel like we got we have the same answer this this one, which is you got to run on LA. Yeah, yeah. They, it's gonna be. I'm not gonna. I don't know if it's gonna be necessarily difficult, but it's gonna be tough to run because Jonathan Taylor is out for the season. Yeah. It's gonna be difficult to generate anything with the running backs that they have, especially with the offensive line that hasn't played super great. But they were able to get some success running the ball, especially on the outside edges of the Vikings' defense, which I thought was really interesting. But the thing that I wrote down was the Colts' defense needs to keep the Chargers constricted and win yeah. up front. I think the Colts' defensive line is still really good. DeForest Buckner's having a great year. Grover Stewart is awesome. And if you can force, if you can force pressure up the middle instead of the – pressure off the edge where Justin Herbert can easily escape escape and break contain and then hit you with a javelin 40 yards down the field. Try and get pressure up the middle. Try and get pressure in his face. So it it's not necessarily, oh, I got to escape out because this guy is coming like off the edge, so I'll be able to get out, break contain. Get pressure up the middle. Try and force him into mistakes that way. I think that's really smart. Um, especially because, like, as you mentioned, like this, the Colts' defensive line is good, and there, there, there's a talent advantage against the Chargers. Who, their offensive line is still really struggling, right? Like, I mean, Justin Herbert is still in like every play that's functional is like because he makes a guy miss, right? So, I think that it definitely starts for them on that side of the ball. I, as far as like, well, I, gosh, I didn't even mention Nick Foles is starting for the Colts in this game, oh, so yeah. I will say, oh. I do, I mean, I'm like the world's biggest Matt Ryan defender, but it he has just not been 
tenable for this Colts offense. So they might get like a little bit of a bump there with Foles. At least you can push the ball downfield a little bit more. Um, this Chargers defense is weird because like, it's okay. So they, they, they looked fine against the Titans, but I kind of have to throw that out because I feel like the Titans on offense are, just have some issues. But, you know, they, they come out, they had that big Miami game, but I, it's kind of, I don't know. Like, how, how do you view them? <laughs> <laughs> like, because I think in some ways they were they were very disappointing at the beginning of the season. Like, do you feel like they fixed some of their issues on third down and stopping the run, or do you think it's just been like competition and game planning? I think it's been competition and game planning, but it's really kind of just they're, they're making do with what they have on defense right now. Brandon Falco is playing rather well, but he has to play well because he has to play. There's no other defense tackle that can play for the Chargers. The, def- the defensive backs have played pretty well this season. The Dolphins game obviously was kind of like the, hey, everybody, like this Chargers defensive backfield is still really good, but they've played rather well this season. I don't know how much of a test Nick Foles is going to give them, but they're going to have to continue to play well. It's just been really weird watching this Chargers defense. Like, they're obviously, like, very bad in the run game, but... I don't think teams kind of attack them there in the run game. Like it's yeah, like Miami like could we, have run the ball more on them. I mean, yeah. the Titans, the, the run, the, the, it's just the offensive Titans' offensive line is so banged up now. So like, in some ways, I was like, oh wow, like Sebastian Joseph Day and Fahoko, like they did a better job um, against the run. But again, I, I really don't think the Titans is what we thought they would be as a running team. Yeah, it's. It's been interesting watching them play because, like you said, they played really well, but the Titans' offensive line currently has me playing left guard. So it's going to be interesting to see them play against the Colts' offensive line, who's really hasn't been health, hasn't been like injured that much, but also hasn't been that great. So it'll be interesting to see kind of the game plan. Like I said, they had some success running outside zone, running on the edges of the Vikings' defense. I want to see if they can continue to keep that up because that should make it pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, they're going to try Jeff. (laughs) All right, let's take a quick break. Come back and wrap with five questions for our guest. And now it's time for dinks and dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? As always five questions for JP four from me, one from Lenny JP. Are you ready? I'm ready. These are all going to be holiday questions. Usually I use these to talk about um, the other games that we talked about all the games. So I'm just going to go chaotic and ask you whatever I want. Question number one. What is the worst gift you've ever received? Oof, worst gift I've ever received. It can be something um, recently too, just a bad gift. <laughs> so I think when I was around 12 or 13, so like last my year, grandparents, my grandparents bought me some like <laughs> socks and like long sleeve shirts to wear. And I'm like, oh, this is great. But I also lived in Florida at the time. Ah. So I wasn't really sure what I was going to be doing with these long sleeve clothes. So I was yeah, like, ah, oh, thanks. Getting socks and long it, it feels kind of like a misallocation of resources. This, You know what? This is like. The older I get, the more I just want, like, the the most basic stuff I need. Like, you know what would be my dream gift? Is if somebody just gave me a bunch of USB cables. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I live in a constant state of trying to find something to use to charge my phone. And if somebody just got me like 20 USB cables, I would be over the moon. Just so happy. I've been asking so many people for just an air fryer. Ooh. Just like, hey, just, hey give me an air fryer and I'll <laughs> love you forever. Oh, yeah, I can see that. All right. Uh, question number two. Which NFL player or coach would you hire to play Santa Claus? Oh, oh, that's a good one. Um, I already know what I want. I feel like the easy answer is Andy Reid here. Yeah, it's, yeah. He, he can act too. Like, got that yeah. State Farm commercial now. We've Those State Farm commercials are hilarious. I, he is one of the best coach actors I've seen. I think he can do a really good Santa. I think yeah, he's got is... kind of the, he's got the jolliness. Clay's Campbell he would be a good like, Santa too. Yeah. I feel like Dan Campbell would be a fun Santa because, like, he's he's given like motivational speeches as Santa Claus, just like full beard. Like he's out he's out there giving children pre workout and like we pro we protein, and I, I think that rocks. Did you think to see um I was, the other person I had in mind was who we've talked about a lot actually Wink Martindale. Did you see his quote about facing off against? Kevin O'Connell and saying, well, I'm more blue collar. It's like going up against Harry Styles. <laughs> what a pull. Wink. Harry Styles. So random. Wow. That is that is like a slam dunk from Wink Martindale saying like, dude's Harry Styles. Harry Styles. I also like don't really think of Kevin O'Connell. I mean, I don't know. He's not like a pretty boy coach. Like he's gigantic too, which doesn't get enough I, attention. I just never thought of like the American dream Wink Martindale. Like he's a yeah. hardworking blue collar guy. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I also think Brian Dayball, very good Santa. Oh, he looks like he's Santa. Got the jolliness. Um, he's always, when whenever they cut him on the sideline, his cheeks are always a little red, too. Yes. He's got, he's very much got like the Keebler elf kind of vibe. But like when he has the, the full beard, he's very Santa ish. Uh, once I had a, we, so the Levitar show, we do these looks likes, right? And I did a, a post of the looks like one that, Viking, some Vikings fan got mad at me about, I don't know why, but I said Mike Zimmer looks like the head elf in Santa's workshop. <laughs> he does. <laughs> you saying red cheeks just make, because it's the red cheeks is why. that I. It's the red cheeks and just like the disdain for like anything that's not on schedule. Yeah, right. Like, keep going. Yeah. Oh, I miss him. All right. Uh, he's he's, he's going to make my Husky's life. Oh, absolutely. Um, Colorado. I'm not looking forward to that. Um, okay. Question number Three, um, what is your favorite Christmas food? Favorite Christmas food? Um, I'm still very much a child. I like the Christmas cookies. I just, I can't like I can't get enough of them. I people are gonna Which laugh. One? People are gonna laugh. But the Christmas cookies with the frosting on them, like the big fr- the, the lot lot of frosting on them, that like people say like stink. I love those. Those are awesome. That are like kind of hard. Yeah, they're awesome. <laughs> Like I, I'll eat. I'll go through a whole pack of those. We like, do um, honey baked ham on Christmas. Ooh, yeah, that's I'm good. Like, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I like ham. Yeah. All right. Question number four. What is your favorite Christmas movie? Favorite Christmas movie is Elf, but I think a very close one is the uh, the Heat Miser Snow Miser Christmas one. I don't remember the name. I just remember the song where he's like, I'm Mr. He Miser. I don't know why I love that movie so much, 
my grandparents would show it all the time, and I just <laughs> thought it rocked. Because, like, it was, it was this, real, this guy who's, like, on fire, like, trying to be Santa Claus. And I was like, man, this is mind-blowing as an eight-year-old. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I just... Looking, oh, looking, it's from I'm, the year without Santa Claus is the 1974. Oh, this is the from Rudolph. Yes. The original yes. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. The the year without Santa Claus. That's what it's called. That is that's a deeper <laughs> cut than I thought I would bring. Um, that's, <laughs> that's a great great call. I love a Charlie Brown Christmas. I rewatch it all oh, the yeah. time. It's makes me cry every time when they do the little tree yep. at the end. Um, okay, last question as always comes from Lenny. Lenny just heard you say you love the movie Elf. Um, that movie came out in 1999. Lenny just wants to know were you alive when Elf came out? <laughs> no. I was not. I was born July 13th, 2000. Don't say it. Don't say it. Oh, God. Oh. So I, we did this thing when I was working at Big Cat Country. Uh, they would ask me players who I thought existed or not. And most oh. of them were from the year like 1995 or 1996. And I was just like, yeah, that you could be making this person up. And I would not get it. You ruined my Christmas. Thanks, JP. <laughs> I'm sorry. So old. Oh,